That's me trying to be the guitar. Um, hello and welcome to episode 7 of How to Break an Artist. Today we are talking about Finon. Not Finon. Management. Well, we're talking about Finon as well. But yeah, <laughs> talking about me. We're going to spend one hour talking about myself and... Uh. <laughs> uh, we're talking about management, which I have said to you, and I've said, well, I've said to you listeners, and I've said to you, if you've known before, it's, it is the most important job in an artist's career. That might seem obvious, or it might seem not obvious to some people. Um, but in my experience, it is. I've had, well, four different managers now, and I have a rough idea of different styles of management. Like, um, you've told me before, if you know, like, like when you would have studied music at college, like this would have been, like what? How, what do you like? What do you, what do you know about it from from that? The management is the one I don't know. Like I know about, but I don't have the articulation for it. It's always been the one where I've been like slightly. I remember doing a first my first assignment in the music industry class, and we had to do like a, a assignment basically breaking down the operating structure of an artist, and the management was the one that was like the most vague. Um, Interesting. So it was. It is the one still. Yeah. <laughs> that I kind of like wonder. Um, how would you sum it up? What is a manager to you? I don't even. I don't even know how to say it. I don't know management in the sense of like, um, whether I worked like stage crew or just studying it or just heard from you. There, it's always it's all just referred to as either a person referred to by name or the person you run into and they're like just they're just looking after stuff. Um, like I remember. Gavin James manager I was unloading his van for his gig um, and I was just taken aback by like how nice he's he was really sound. And he gave he's me, really sound he gave me a guitar pack as well he gave oh. me a guitar pack for unloading the guitars and I was like that's classy yeah. <laughs> I was comparing him to all the other ones I'd yeah. but like you know so I was, so then it, it's interesting because it gives an insight into whether I'm, in my mind I, I put two and two together I'm like well he's a decent dude I presume then Gav's a decent, decent dude and like you kind of like I feel like it tells a lot about the the artists are the way they operate. Um, that is what their managers. That like. is bang on. That is bang on. I mean, it's like they're the one managing their reputation. I mean, their finances, absolutely everything. But that is so important. Um, that would be on my checklist of management. Have someone that is just approachable, easy to talk to, and you know, like that gesture with you will go a long way. And as you said, it will reflect on the yeah. artist. You assume, and in this case, it is one hundred percent true. Gavin James is a fucking legend, you know, as is his manager. Mm. So. It just, yeah. that goes a long way. And yeah, take note of that if you're an artist or a manager. Um, how do you understand a manager gets paid? Um, okay, so in my ideal world, in my head, it's 10%. Yeah. But in reality, I presume it's 20%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's understandable because of all the things we just said. Like it's it's a big role. And it's a big job to fill. Uh, like, obviously, we all want to give away less percentage of our stuff because there's such little going around at the moment. But a good manager can, should massively, you know, should be creating work for you and should be, you know, the idea of them getting 20%. It's like they're getting 20% of the money you're making. So you're making, you should be making 80%. So it's in their interest to work you hard and to make their 20% really become something do you know if they wanted to be in an ideal yeah. world so if they wanted to have a <laughs> 50 grand salary out of 20 percent, well then how much do they have to make you 250 grand is that would that i think that adds up 
Man, I did Order Naval Maths and I haven't thought about it in five years. <laughs> so, t- 20%, yeah. I think I just nailed that, man. Yeah. They have to make you 250 uh, grand a year. <laughs> so, there you go. So, that's how they get paid. How, I wonder, like, how do you think you become a man- manager? I've I've wondered this. I've had people over the last few years, I guess, like, in the film side, um, I have a friend who's, like, very responsible, also very honest. At one point, I was like, "Would you just be my manager?" <laughs> and I was just like, you know, like no, no experience of it. But yeah. I'm like, I, like I just trust, I just trust yeah. you. I presume you do. Like, from what I've heard, um, from yeah, all the different places, I don't know how one becomes one, but it, the importance of like finding the right one and one who is like effective and um, communicative um, is like pivotal to yeah. it and I, when you don't it, it really just um shafts the business yeah. well like we'll read through some examples of different managers and different management styles and i think that in that process we'll kind of get an idea on how noted or notable music managers have become to be that way some of them might have been artists djs some of them might have been like you know family business it just depends like there's so many different approaches um what like you just said there? Well, like, what would you be looking for in a manager um, at the moment? Um, okay, I thought I did think about this um, over the last few days. I've been thinking about all the different. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking more about like if I was like to build a team like in like a year, like what would it be and why and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but like in a manager, like, um, like I, I assume a lot of it's just like who they know, like. I, I know people, but I don't know, like, people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no offense, Alfie, but, like, and it's, like, <laughs> if, <laughs> but, like, the, like, the, someone who can put things together and, and maybe keep me on track, yeah. I am neurodivergent to fuck, so maybe it would be good to have, like, someone to keep an eye on me, um, <laughs> and, and, and I'd probably be a bit more focused, but, um, that, that's probably it, but then, um, that I I also know like it would require me finding someone who like gets that and um and like as a just yeah can meet me I guess as an equal yeah um uh, without um I wouldn't want to feel like I'm under someone you know what yeah. I mean someone's authority someone's kind of like that's really interesting I mean that's that kind of reminds me of um like what Gabrielle was saying about her relationship with her manager it's like well, and especially when when it first came about. Uh, there was like an equal thing he put in just as much as her to the music and there was that yeah, yeah. and then that whole thing of like not rushing anyone into anything um, do you know they, they'd be yeah. good traits I suppose to look out for but it seems like you know roughly the sort of person you're looking for um, you know it's like dating it's, it feels it is man it is it feels like you know what you want but you're gonna wait for yeah. it um, are you gonna settle yeah. for something you shouldn't and then yeah some someone might come along the way who really likes you but they might have completely different values to you and, and you know it's <laughs> yeah. like you've got to work and it's a really tough thing because yeah again like there's we're gonna get into the more legal side of things but like there's a you know p- people sign management contracts that's very very standard um, yeah I have signed management contracts and yeah, I've had different experiences with them. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about, I've done three albums with three different management teams or management structures. And it's really interesting how, how it's all worked. But what I've, what's, what I definitely noticed is it is the most important job. And yeah, 
like like an artist, a manager must wear many, many hats. You know, um, if if I'm thinking of like notable managers growing up, I, I mean, I'd I'd like to ask the listeners first as well. Like when I say music manager, who comes to mind? Don't mean dancer. Well, yeah, you go as well. Like who's the first? You know, who was the first music manager you became aware of? Okay, so. This is genuine, but I also know it was in the show notes, but it, it is my answer. <laughs> It'll be Louis Walsh. <laughs> like, but like genuinely, because he'd be on the X Factor and you'd be like, what, who's this fella? What, like, what's and he's he doing? the Irish guy. Like, exactly. Yeah. And he's the Irish guy as well. So like, it was always on the X Factor. It's like, if you got Louis and you had to go to judges' houses, I remember JLS just being so sad that they were going to Ireland. Because <laughs> like, everyone I mean? else is I'd like, like but, LA and Venice. And Simon Cowell, Simon Cowell, and then they have like like an artist on it and all this stuff, and you're like, who the fuck is this guy? You don't put two and two together, yeah. and um, but also, um, from everything I've heard, um, I don't think me and him uh, would sit down to share a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny, man. I've actually met him, to be honest. I um, ah, I might have to just get it up. No, no, no. I'll get it up another time. Maybe in the Christmas special, I'll, I'll play you a little clip of me talking to Louis Walsh. Um, what? Yeah, that's all I'm going to give you. But yeah, so tune in next week for that, everybody. But yeah, no, he'd be the same as me. The first kind of manager that I came across on TV via the X Factor, sitting there having some opinions, it is fair to say. Like he he yeah. is an opinionated man and he's not afraid to share them live on TV. And, you know, uh, very interesting. I believe he started Westlife and Boyzone is that uh yeah and he's also I read Bono's book and at one point they're sitting there somewhere in Dublin and like they're chatting away and like trying to I don't know if it's their manager or if it's like what they're trying to decide basically as a band what they're to do um and Louis Walsh is in the booth next to them and like just turns around it's like he just pops up like he's just in the he's just in the music industry lore of Ireland it's um what a what yeah. a funny status to have. Um, but yeah, also like one of my previous managers would have been considered like his best friend, which is very interesting. And I didn't know that before working with them. But it, you know, it's just an interesting. Um, which one? I can't tell you that. Like, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, that's really interesting. He's the first. I mean, that's, that's what we both share as well. Um, another manager like I'd have come across just because I've always grown up like loving this band, and they're the fucking mm-hmm. biggest band ever to be, which is the Beatles. Um, yeah. Their manager Brian Epstein or Epstein, like the difference in sort of caliber compared to these. Like this is just when I was first getting into music, kind of. The first two managers I'd come aware with, uh, been aware of, is Louis Walsh and then Brian Epstein, and like what we, yeah, we just spoke about Louis and a bit about his background. Also, there's one while we're on Louis. Sorry, like something about the boys out piecing them together, like last minute for the late late. They were on the late late show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, And wasn't your man? Remember, there was a judge on that talent show you were on. Yeah, we spoke about this last um, week. That judge, Shane Ward, he was actually Shane Lynch. Shane Lynch. Shane Lynch. We went through this before. Sorry, (laughs) you're not. Don't throw throw Shane Shane Ward Ward, the bus. Shane Ward's a lovely fella. (laughs) Honestly, I've heard very good things about him. So I'm going to say Shane Shane Ward's a lovely fella. I can't say I can't say the same for the other the other. Yeah, Shane Lynch, who was in Boyzone, who. Uh, he was the judge on this talent show I was telling you about last week and he yeah. decided to pit Harry and I against each other. He got us there. I was only 16. Harry was like 17 or 15 even I was. Yeah, they got us on TV and then all the judges say, oh, you guys are great. And then he decides to go, oh, Alfie, you're the star. 
and yeah. basically, you know, break my brother's fucking dreams. He was a musician growing up and I really wasn't. So, you know, it just it was a pretty hard thing to hear as a 16-year-old kid. And He was doing a Louis Walsh, if you think about yeah. it. He was doing what his manager realistically did to oh him my in that Oh my God, band. that is so interesting. Yeah, that kind of shows you the sort of world it is, you know, and that sort yeah. of maybe that's kind of boy band, that high commercial 90s, 2000s. We're going to talk about another manager who's like really influential, who was really influential uh, in America with boy bands. It's a really interesting story. I'll. Hello. You're on the episode now. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Hi. Hi, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. And, Thank you. Oh, <laughs> very good. Very good. If you know as well, looked after I'm, here. Yeah. <laughs> My mom just brought me a car. She's like, you know, you need that three coffee buzz you had from a couple of episodes. I just, I just finished uh, the other one. <laughs> so, she obviously <laughs> likes, she likes the, uh, the hyperactive, you know, obviously. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, but then, yeah, the, so the second manager, I had a big, come aware of is Brian Epstein out the Beatles and that very loosely because I watched a fucking documentary when I was 16 or something and I looked into him a little bit and he was born into a family of like successful retailers selling vinyls in Liverpool and he first met yeah. the Beatles in 1961 at a lunchtime concert in the Cavern Club he had no experience of artist management Epstein put them under a contract and insisted they abandon their scruffy image in favour of a new clean cut style. He also attempted mm. to get the Beatles record, uh, a recording contract, eventually securing a deal with EMI's Parlophone label. Same label as Gabrielle. I mean, how cool is that? Um, mm. Within months, the Beatles were international stars. He, he managed other bands as well. He once yeah. offered all four Beatles a fixed wage of £50 a week for life, equivalent to £1,200 in 2021. Harrison remembered that he was earning £25 a week at the time, equivalent to £600 in 2021, which was more than the £10 a week that his father was earning. The group declined Epstein's offer, believing that they were worth so much more than £50 a week. That's so interesting. That's the fucking biggest band in the world turning around saying yeah. to their manager, well, they weren't at the time, but that's a band in the 60s believing in themselves so much that they could say, no, we're not going on your wage system because we nice. know bands can make a shit ton of money in music in the per in perpetuity as well I presume like, so. well that's what it said forever so he said yeah we'll sign you to a contract for yeah a fixed wage of 50 pound a week for life so aren't so, they very lucky they didn't sign that in in things you've signed so I'm just uh, I'm going to be presumptuous you signed a record deal publishing deal and the management contract and only on the first album did I sign a management contract the second album, as I said to you, was a 360 deal. So the label had a say in our management. And then we had uh, other managers involved with the label, like owning the label, who were actually managing our project. Mm. So yeah. the label had a say in management. And it was, yeah, it was more like a, like a, like a music mogul sort of manager, you know, um, taking, taking the reins. And then like my last album was like my, my best friend's dad, who I've known since I was... Literally yeah. 14, um, who has worked a lot with Irish traditional and folk music and um, just three mm. completely different approaches. What's the other one? Uh, the other type of manager is a mummager or a dadager. Have you ever heard of them? That's interesting. I have. Um, I mean, some famous ones you... are huge. We've spoken mm. about them on the podcast. Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5, they had a dadager. Like, that was brutal as well. I get bad vibes anyway. I get really bad vibes and I've heard some really bad things as well. Britney, 
Yeah, that's one. Brittany Jesus. and her father and her mother, this conservatorship business. Like, we'll, we should talk about that again. Yeah. The, 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 I don't know, the, the parent, <laughs> just like to be, to put a blanket yeah. on it. Like, it's almost like, um, I could see how like someone such as like someone on off TikTok or something being signed into a, a deal or something like that, their parent will be involved and obviously like overseeing it. And um, like Britney Spears came from basically like the Mickey, like the Mickey Mouse Club or something yeah. with Justin Timberlake. And yeah. I think Ryan Gosling was on that as well back in the day. This is before I was born anyway. But um, like if the child star goes into adulthood there's that like um like i don't know there's that route where the parent oversteps into steps in like, yeah i mean like oversteps and then sometimes it sometimes yeah. it works like do you know i i don't come across it in terms of like what i would say like the more traditional music industry maybe the one like that i'd consider myself or you in mm. but in terms of but but then again you've met more people <laughs> so have you come across it I don't know, just from even talking about Taylor Swift again, like I saw her documentary, like her parents seem quite involved in what's going on in her life, you know, or her career, but maybe that has changed or does change from time to time, you know. They'd still be close. Yeah, Katy Perry, I remember watching something similar with her documentary. Yeah, I I feel like, um, you know, with the managers in general, and maybe whether it's parents or not parents, um, like, for example, going back to like what Gabrielle was saying last week, talking about like you know when James came on board and stuff like that. Like, their approach um, that she described was like so refreshing to hear. Um, and obviously, you know, just got to chat to him the other night. Like, just lovely dude. Like, it was just like it was just a really nice. Like, as a younger artist, it was just really cool, basically, to hear the good story of a manager and to meet them and to, and just to to kind of feel the consistency of that uh, but i can see how like with any as with anything in, in the world it can veer off into a different direction when um the wrong people get involved into something or when certain things happen you know some managers can be great at some things and not great at other things and i think that's another thing that yeah. defines a good manager is being able to you know look at be aware of their own blind spots and you know if like you said maybe you're a manager and you're really good at uh, administration but you don't have contacts you know well then you're going to have to you know, maybe get someone on board who has contacts or make contacts, yeah. you know, and it's just about, I think most importantly, I think the artist is the one who is hiring the manager. The artist is the person in, at the yeah. center of everything. And that should be the center of the manager's universe. Do you know? Like, uh, obviously I know the stories of how you met each manager. Yeah. Um, and when I think about yourself and Tom, I don't know where Tom's at, even with this podcast, for example. Like, I would love to speak to him because he's got such a good head on him and I love him as a manager. And hopefully mm. he can catch up and get to the level where we can we can talk about it. But if not, it'd be really interesting to throw a few questions to him anyway. Um, like, from at I, some point, I don't think we'll get it for this episode, but, like, at some point in the future, I'd love for him to come on board to, to quiz him on his career. What I just say is just like knowing how you met your three managers I f- and seeing you kind of run about London the other night. It, I, it was interesting because I was thinking about it yesterday when I was walking around um, 
trying to picture you closer to my age grafting in London compared to you having left it and just you it felt like the most like you you know what I mean you just felt like fully yourself and I do feel like your management situation now and, and your situation as a whole reflects that and I'd wonder um when you look back when your first managers approached you and you were seven 16 17 yeah. um how do you feel now like like having gone through the London scene with the the big label the management all that stuff and now you have a manager you know who isn't based in London you're not based in London and but you have a good career you know what I mean um how do you kind of feel about now I think specifically just with London it's a very it's like a bubble right even just in the UK as a whole like London is a feels almost like a different country to the rest of the UK. After, and that's just my opinion after living there for so long. Um, and then also touring the length and breadth of the UK. Um, so London is just a different story. And if you're living there, you're in the bubble, simple as. And, you know, there's gigs on absolutely every single night, 100 gigs on every single night. There is always something yeah. going on. There's always an after party. There's always a, a buzz. There's always something to chase. It's part of the living in a city lifestyle, I think, you know, um, and London, that seems to be heightened. And then particularly if you're signed, signed in London and trying to work the UK music industry in that top 40 commercial way, it's <laughs> you got, you know, it's it's a different story to where I'm at now. I, that, I don't have desire to to chase that anymore so I can now go to London and you know, go to the spots that I used to go to and, you know, not feel stressed out when I'm in them. And, like, I could just enjoy it and see it in a different way. Also, I know loads of people now from being in London, so I have a support network and community there. And, you know, I get excited by coming into London now, which which yeah. is so... Which which I didn't for years, let's just say that, do you know? Um, and, yeah, I also have, like, my own familial connection to London. I've been going there my whole life, so I have this like it's part of yeah. me you know uh, as a city and um uh, yeah I, I i really enjoyed it this time yeah i just feel i don't know approaching it now it's on my terms and it's not on like it's not on like my manager's terms because again my management team at the first time they were from london i was coming to their yeah. city i was just like a child basically teenager from dublin and i didn't have much connection like when they said they had a studio based in soho I thought that was short for yeah. Southampton. I didn't know. <laughs> Southampton. Southampton. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so I thought I was going to Southampton to record, but no, Soho's actually like Soho. Fucking, you know, Soho, if you don't know it, is like the fucking artsy, cool fucking part yeah. of um, of London, you know. I I remember walking through it in the in the summer and I, I sent you a photo from outside Dean Street and like I went to the SWAT you recommended and because um, we were researching the podcast and stuff. And I remember just sitting there, just like getting the sense of the London that you were in, and um, it was it was just it was just surreal to think, like, because we're we're talking about all these places, but to actually like walk the street and like to to um, it it gives so much context, and um, I think that's what that was in my mind seeing you uh, back in London, but you know, and I would say like just winning. Yeah, it just felt it felt really good. I mean, like it was just nice to be back again on, on my own terms. And I think like I was there on my own terms at the beginning, 
I knew what I was doing. I was really excited. There was this energy about London at the time. Like it was 2012. They were, had the Olympics on. It just seemed like it was a buzzing. The world was ending. <laughs> well, yeah, if you watch the movies. Um, but yeah, it was like, it just felt like a really buzzing time. Uh, and, you, you know, yeah, we moved there. We lived there for 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 a while, but before we moved there, um, like it was made possible moving to London by our management. They literally housed us when we first moved in. We were, you know, we were young, and and then yeah. So our manager 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 housed us basically for for a little while, and you know, again, like I said last week, taught me absolutely everything I basically know. The foundation of um, the music industry. I was so young, and I was at that part of life when you're picking what you want to do anyway go to college or university or work or whatever so I decided that I would throw myself at music as if it was university and that I you know go through all this and and just take it as a learning opportunity and sure look here I am now uh using that experience in some way or another but those those initial managers I can't tell you how important they were for Hudson Taylor at the time and yeah I really I'm so grateful for 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 that whole experience, I look back in a really, really positive way to all that now that I have even, you know, I have loads more hindsight and experience since then that that management relationship ended in 2015. Unexpectedly, I will say, um, not was not my decision at all. And, uh, you know, it was sprung on me and, and it, it, it wasn't okay yeah. how that ended. And also that was a, a contract, um, which was, you know, again, yeah. my first experience of a management contract, it was pretty fair contract from my understanding of it now. And, um, yeah, there was like particular ways in which you're supposed to end these things. And that's what the contract said, you know, like you give a certain amount of notice and, you know, um, the sunset clause, isn't it? That's like, it's like, yeah. The- like or what was it called post term commission is what they call it and mm. it means that like the manager will still receive their 20% on the songs that they worked on and the things that they worked on for, you know for the remaining couple of years after you part ways um yeah and one one thing is if that i remember is it's just a bit of a pain in the ass to account for so we eventually bought out our manager from that contract by saying this is our estimated income for the next couple of years here is that income so we don't have to account to you every this X amount because yeah. that costs us in accountants fees. And they were amicable and sound in that process. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I fucking hate them and this, that and the other. You know, I, I really, really, really have so much respect for my first for my first management team. I remember when we were doing the research on the first album and um, I guess you kind of like uh, had given the thought to, I forget like what happened there. I just remember how upset you were even today. Yeah, well, um, it's just again like I didn't. I'm not happy with how it ended, and you know, ah, you know, uh, I was like when I was on tour, I was very overworked and under pressure, and you know, we had, as I said, the album took three years to make, and I, it wasn't the album I had dreamed of when I was 16, and I think that I, I knew that I knew that deep down. I have it downstairs. Um, and when I came, um, came back last night, um, I was just cleaning up. I, I just kind of took a look at it and looked at the back. Um, so that's, tw- it has tw- this is just, just to give some context of it, like with not with specifics, like there's 12 tracks and there's nine bonus tracks. Like that's a, 
like that's what was it 21 yeah. songs i'm hoping doing the yeah. maths right there <laughs> yeah but like but like it, i don't know really how to say it, but I, I just think it's like you know almost like a paints the picture of the situation the kind of rat race of the first album yeah. and i think there was a lot of i don't know if casualties is the right word but a lot of um a lot of effects then yeah um, well i i have the... now like squared it down to the industry like now that i'm zooming out and going jesus it was just such a turbulent time it still is a turbulent time in music you know streaming was just coming about like no one yeah. had the answers but like the label have put so much money into us that they need to come up with answers and you know i don't blame anyone for for the decision i do to an extent but like yeah. it's so nuanced is what i'm saying and like the That's industry good. is to blame in my opinion rather than we don't yeah rather than the manager we don't have to put this in if you i honestly if, think if it's fine I, I i'm i'm completely aware of what i'm saying and, and i you know yeah I can only speak well of these managers, so I, I have yeah. no, I have no problem I, with with keeping that in. Um, I really do admire them, uh, uh, like in doing the research of it, like you know all the different characters in Hudson Taylor's story. Um, I, you know how they brought you from, you know, Harry and Alfie on YouTube to Hudson Taylor, and obviously at that period that would have been when I was most invested. I was, I was a fucking kid, like. I mean, um, they introduced me to well, like the script, Danny, Danny from the Coronas, like so the people yeah. I met, like they actually introduced us to our next manager, like bizarrely enough, because mm. the last concert we did with that manager was, was basically just hand, handing us to the next management team and system, which was so, How was so interesting. Um, somewhat unexpected. Like, again, as I said, it came to an end. We might get into it at one stage. Um, after I've thought about it a little bit more, but uh, it came to an end mm. abruptly, shall I say, and then kind of yeah. petered out after that. Um, and we worked closely closing things down with the manage- management in 2015. And basically by 2016, we had no no management and things, we had no label either. We'd been dropped by Polydor and we'd be dropped by Sony ITV, the publishers. And, the, and we were just kept in this one contract, which was that American deal that I was telling you about. That was like, our fate, that was the only kind of contractual obligation we had left, which was to provide an album or two albums for this deal in America. And yeah. The pressure of that without the uh, financials of... Um, well, without... If you're a new band, like you're one album in and you have to do two more albums where you have no finance behind or, it to actually or do Or no manager. Like to, to take these negotiations, like, you know, I, I, I like... I froze, man. I didn't know what to do. Suddenly I'm dealing, I'm the man, I'm basically the manager for Hudson Taylor and I've got to talk to this publisher and account for, you know, who I had no real part in the negotiation of that deal. So it's like suddenly I'm there trying to negotiate. So I just froze and I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to reply to anything and try and get them to drop us essentially because then I'd be free uh, to to maybe sign my life away once again. But uh, Mm -hmm. that was kind of where we were at. And so I was under a lot of pressure managing Hudson Taylor. We were getting some gigs coming in through Ireland, which were paying some of the bills, but it wasn't great. Like, and then we went looking for managers. I found the email recently, which is me, you know, giving uh, somewhat of the history of Hudson Taylor and where we're at now and our plans. And it was very oh. much we want to move forward as an independent uh, band, uh, you know, work a lot in Ireland and 
make make the album that we always dreamt of making very independently and possibly even self-produced we were very ambitious you know because we self-produced those demo tracks we spoke about on the yeah. first album mm. we set basically self-produced all them so we were we were becoming quite efficient at recording our own music and and also Gabrielle like knowing what I knew that was the way to fucking do it and I was trying to set us up as some sort of structure like that so I'm gonna walk um this freaking um this wire right now that's <laughs> look I would like... just have to have to come out that why you might sense a bit of caginess around us is like the, the next right. management team yeah. I ended up getting involved with are so powerful and so influential in music. And, you know, it just has to be. So I can't really dance around that. Um, no, you know, no. and, and fuck it. Let's be blunt. Yeah. And like the opportunity <laughs> like, from, from, from that situation, like I'm saying, no prospects were stuck in a publishing deal to then literally the best manager on paper that could in, in, Ireland. in Ireland, if not Europe and, and the UK, man, like it's like, Go on. If you mention the name to someone, like when I mentioned the name to someone <laughs> uh, in in the making of this podcast, they were cautioning me. <laughs> Should you do this podcast? Should you talk about this? I'm really scared for you. <laughs> like that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah, just, and I like yeah. so. There's that context. Also, like they happen to be from 15 minutes away from where I grew up. That's where they're based. So, like, there's that. And then, anyway, did this concert and we got approached by this massive man. We were already looking at managers as well, bear in mind. So I was, like, already, like, I cannot manage Hudson Taylor. This is too much. We need someone. So I asked a few people. They asked a few people and we got in touch. We took a few meetings and then suddenly this came out the blue. Like, the the biggest manager you could possibly yeah. ask for coming in and saying... You know, basically asking someone we worked with, did we have a manager and we want to manage them and we want to break break, break them in America. Like we're talking big. Yeah. That was your dream like, like as well. Well, that it was, was like, like I couldn't, e I didn't even dare to dream that. As I said, I was on retreat mode. I was going, we've done the fucking Polydor thing in London. Let's just go back to Ireland, set up our nice independent business in Ireland and grow a nice business. And then, you know, maybe fucking think about trying to conquer America. But we weren't, we didn't have the time to 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 to, yeah. to do that and to get that opportunity. So these people got on board, and then we kind of rushed into. You had other talks going on as well, but like from my point of view, in in hearing it from you, it was like, you know, as soon as that came about, it was like whether you felt it yourselves or whether it was um, people giving you advice, it was like you'd be stupid not to take it, but also you kind of have to take this. There was no not taking it. You can't, you can't, there's no not taking it. Exactly. And like, so I, you know, did what a lot of people do is just see it as the most positive thing ever and, you know, jump, jump into it. And, and, and it is, and it was amazing. And I cannot fucking tell you the amount of investment, like everything that was put it like, again, I owe a lot of my experience to that period of time and to being at the table yeah. with these sort of people. Um, because I learned so much about how, well, first of all, the Irish music business works, which is so different to the London music business, like completely <sighs> different. It is mad. the wild fucking West, man. Um, it, and it's the wild West of capitalism. <laughs> it certainly is. And, <laughs> and it's, it's so sad. Yeah, and like, again, choppy waters to navigate. So we're going to be super careful. Um, 
but yeah. it's yeah I learned loads about it and and it is, I I I take away so much positive stuff but it it just I don't share the same feeling in my body as I do about my first management team who knows like they could easily be listening to this podcast I would not be surprised if they see the fucking title management and they'll have it hello have it. <laughs> <laughs> look Water under the fucking bridge. Do you know what I mean? I hope I'm learning That's, lessons. Yeah. I'm learning lessons, and I hope you are learning lessons as well. This is what it's all about. And like, uh, my point is, we've already expressed how much power they have. Use it well. Do you know what I mean? Use it fucking. That's 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 my big beef there. And um, yeah. If, Do you know how? Go on. Blunt. I could be about it. <laughs> just if we're going to talk, about yeah. it, Fuck it. It's just as a emerging artist, you gave me context of the art industry that I would never have gotten and I would have been in this rat race not knowing why it wasn't working. I put it that way. Yeah. And I'm in Ireland now knowing that leaving Ireland is the way. Now, I will say that as someone who's viewing the Irish industry now outside of Abbeville, which there is, there's loads of cool opportunities and avenues to go down in Ireland other than this and there are exciting things happening um, it's like I said we're kind of talking about the top tier of, of, of it the, the commercial stuff the big gigs that come in and the, the big artists that come in yeah what what oh. what <laughs> sorry I'm going to rephrase what I just said I think that there are oh man this is a Pandora's box it's not even no, just it's that. like there's it's like so the, many layers, it, and I think it's there's a we oh. need a bit of time and like look and a lawyer so do your yeah exactly do your <laughs> do your own research. I'm gonna sound like just look <laughs> just into look into the ins and yeah exactly yeah. the ins and outs of the Irish music industry. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I can't believe it after going to London and getting screwed over, thinking oh I'm going over to Ireland now and everything's gonna be grand because we're all sound in Ireland. No one fucks anyone over and everyone knows everyone and you know. I was ah. shocked. I was absolutely shocked to find out what's going on. And then also to still find out what's going on. Like, like internationally, yeah. zooming out and going, God, there's so much at play. But like, this is a minefield, man. And it's going to be a fun we, edit. Yeah. <laughs> but like, Jesus we've Christ. said enough. Take out we've, the power. I think <laughs> we... Take out what I just said. <laughs> we've, we've said enough. We've said enough. What, what, yeah. what like, I just... how do you think... <laughs> How do you think is best for the listeners? I don't even know. I don't even know. It's so, there's so much. There's so like there's literally so much to say that it's difficult to 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 it, land the correct point about the subject of the day. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much we could yeah. say, and I think management wise, what box do they fit into? In a really simple way to describe my second management, I think you should hopefully have a good idea of what my first management team were like, second management team. How do we put that into a a box to describe to people? If you sign with them, you get the key to Ireland, basically. Well, that's one. So powerful, very rich, like hundreds. Money's not an option, yeah. but the money is also wholly recoupable. <laughs> it's, well, that's bang on, bang on target there. Our aim is to literally break you in America and to make you succeed just like an artist real life proof they had real life proof yeah. of an artist who had just been through it and, and received the yeah. most success out of Ireland in fucking the biggest yeah. artist so that 
That and sort of tells you the sort of calibre and that's why Finon and I be beating around the bush so much, do you know? And not to mention they own the label that I'm releasing from and they also own the publishing company. 360 you. That's the term I couldn't remember. <laughs> so like you were in a situation essentially where it's like it's not just the management but it's also like in-house is your management, your publishing and your record label. It all just built up this wow. mountain of debt that's so frustrating. And I wonder if it wasn't all done in that way and if it was more your management was separate to that, your publishing was separate to that, or even if not. But it's just the lines were crossing, the the debt was going up. It's all recoupable. Money's no option, but it's all recoupable. How we make money is via these people. And they control all the money that comes in and all the money that comes out. So it's as, it's as, in a sense of that control. Like, do you know what I mean? They manage my time, my, 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 my publishing, my records, when I release things. I mean, absolutely that broke me. That's it. That's broke it. You. That's it. Like, it. Yeah. That, yeah. That fucks me off. <laughs> it's just, I was, I, okay, the coffee has kicked in. I, I'm also very passionate as a friend and very pissed off. <laughs> it's like, I just told you about my first album. I had an education in music. I had worked at the highest levels of UK music. I was really experienced. Yeah. I knew what I was, not to sound like a dick, but I knew what I was talking about. Do you know what I mean? And like, also my part, my partner has a fucking successful independent but, label and I had yeah. been managing Hudson Taylor. I think I was a really qualified person to speak on the project and to make plans and to do all of that stuff. And I just feel yeah. like, because of how successful these people have become, they don't want to hear it. Like they, they took on board a lot of what I had to say, but like ultimately the book stops with them. It was their fucking thing. And you know, like I told you what my desire was that year was to have yeah. a steady income. It wasn't to break America and all this stuff. So I suppose you could blame it on me too. I didn't have the desire to fulfill these dreams of massive music moguls but I was also driven and I worked really hard and I showed up to work and I fucking worked like I worked very hard you went from an 18 year old who didn't have any career to um, just you know I don't know approaching your mid 20s at that point with a position that you could actually take get over the rat race the massive never ending one and focus on building your personal life which you also built during that time with Fair Fox and but then they were like, you know, actually, let's go into this never ending fucking pursuit of firstly breaking use a band, getting a hit, um, goalpost, always moving. Well, like, look, it's not down to me to like tell people how to spend their money and stuff. But if you've got hundreds of millions of quid and you believe in a band and you want to manage them and like, yeah, put them under a certain amount of pressure particularly when you're managing. I mean, look, we haven't even spoken about how difficult the job of managing brothers is going to be. But like, so that's another massive factor. And I don't even know if we'll get into that today. But like, so if you put all of that together, like that's a huge, huge, huge responsibility. But like, it can be made a lot worse by not, by, by first of all, being in debt. Like there's no, there's no need for that in my head. Like there's no need. If I like, I just can't square. Yeah. If I had hundreds of millions of quid, I'd be the most generous motherfucker ever. You know what I mean? It's like, I just don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how it was allowed to happen. And like, perhaps also I, there is a part of this that is there is shame around being poor as a musician that, that is not spoken about enough. And like, that, yeah. I, you know, it's very hard to say to oh, anybody. Dude. And yeah. also when people are that rich, uh, I would argue they don't 
necessarily have an understanding of what it actually is like to not be able to afford food. You're talking about London earlier. I was having having this conversation with my friends yesterday. I'm going to get a rough number now, but if you're under like 30 grand, you're living in relative poverty in London. So if you think about the amount of people in London and how, how, like how much of your time, if you're working minimum wage, and Jesus, imagine if you're lucky enough to even get the London yeah. living wage, for example. Ooh, but like the amount of, put that into hours and break that down into how much you'd have to work over the year just to, just to get to that number yeah. it's actually insane and then there's people with just copious yeah. amounts of money but i don't think in my opinion they didn't have the perspective or the self-awareness that they're spending these things which might in in their world mightn't be the biggest but you have to be aware that there is someone on the other side of that who that is a yeah. massive fucking number and they don't have yeah the but there's also money. like um decisions made are decisions that you just wouldn't make as a poor person you know you you really when and poor is relative so I, yeah know, like again like you said there's a london living wage there's all of this but like there are yeah that's the dogs there um yeah 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 it, this, this sort of subject makes them really angry too <laughs> no but there's like yeah. certain decisions you would make like you know how much money you'd spend on a music video like how many people you would send to america to tour you know like that, yeah. you know like the financial consequences that your artists are going to come under by spending this money. You would consider all of this stuff. And, you know, like I said to you before, it's really hard to write a song when you're in fucking hundreds of thousands of pounds of debt. Like, it's just, it's just like... The pressure's there to like, this, if you, if you write the correct one, we could, we, you could pay all this back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's it. It's just sad that it could have been solved just like I know money doesn't solve everything but like it was mm -hmm. really the root of a lot of my issues um, because you know like just based ba the basic things and so I have an idea know, go on me and you we go to yeah. Vegas we get some nice suits um, and look I'll learn to count cards and we're going to Payback. Oh yes, man! <laughs> yes, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. If anyone can do it, Fiona, I I know it's you. Honestly, um, yeah. Just if Counting Cards was uh, was a musical act, and I could go into the discography, I'm pretty sure I could learn how to do it. I, I'll distract everybody. I'll just do my charm and chat shit, you know, and then I'll go. Everybody, look over here, and you'll be fucking business. I think yeah. it's I think it's a good business model. Gambling, that is fucking what it is, That's, you know. Yeah. And it's a big gamble for the management too. And look. I sound again like I must say I had some great times I got to yeah. go to America with a band and do all of this stuff it's just like I wish I could look back at it all in the same way as I do my first management team but it, I don't it's and just that's, that's like I think there's the dogs again they're just like Appy stop talking about these guys because <laughs> which one is it can you tell it's it's all of them yeah <laughs> one of them sets off the other and yeah oh, but them. here's how we ended their decisions yeah. is is what led to this podcast this is, comes back to the where this you know 2020 this album that came out and like when i spoke to gabrielle last week what when did she first see me broken like i was very patient up until about 2020 until yeah. the wheels were really falling off and i i'd been on three tours we were in you know, hundreds of thousands of debt and we were yeah. promoting an album and, you know, like, again, there was just, uh, I wasn't being true to what was actually happening and how much debt I was in and and it just fucking all broke. It all caught up with me and then we released the album. It went number one. 
it didn't it didn't fucking make a difference at all to my finances or my life and then there was a global pandemic and all our live work was cancelled and yeah. literally we didn't have a management contract in place with these managers they they just managed just via the 360 deal as the label owners so there was no nothing in place for like oh we have to have a honeymoon period for you and manage you for x amount it was just no oh, see you later we've got other stuff to deal with and, and you know that was really shitty and that's where that really put me in a really bad place for 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 a long time because like a long yeah. long time and like it really broke me and and that was just in my opinion careless it was it was not not how you work with people no. at all and it is completely against what i thought making music in ireland would be you're a person with such strong morals um, like that moral compass and just like stands up for injustice and stands up to bullshit basically well, that's for, that's where it came that's it where was, it came to a head to hear what was being flung at you what um let's just say responsibility was being thrown to you that wasn't yours and like what you were put through versus then what was put onto you and and that f fucks me off <laughs> i like me it's too just... man and it's honestly like I don't say this lightly. I'm still traumatized from it. Like it's not. Yeah. It wasn't fair. Uh, it wasn't fair at all. And like, I, we'll get we'll get into we'll get into it more. You know, in different ways. It'll t it'll always come in because again, that's the situation that broke mm. me. I was explaining it to um, Carmack the other night. Um, like you just had a lot of questions basically after meeting you. And yeah. Like I was trying to, you know. I guess what I could say, what I explain to listeners is basically like when he hears talking about record deals, publishing deals and, and management contracts, um, when it comes to the second album, these were all the same thing. When it comes to the third album, it was the record and the publishing deal were, this, were the same thing. And yeah. like, you, you know, on on one hand, you went on, Amer on an American tour supporting Ozier, but then on the other hand, I know that everyone bar ye were being paid because they were the session musicians. You know what I mean? It's like, so like the musicians will have a certain amount of rights in that in that scenario. Like they'll have to be paid for their day. They'll have to, you know, get like a pocket money essentially as well. They're like, you know, their travel and yeah, th things are like, I don't get a day rate when I'm out because I'm the artist yeah. and I'm the business owner and I'm taking on all this stuff. So like I don't leave a gig going, oh, I got 250 quid for my actual work. You know, I've got to go off the profits of the tour. And as I told you, there were no profits on the tour. Yeah. It was complete deficit. So any money like you were such a tight band as well that's the thing i, I would have seen you as a band and I would have seen you as a duo well honestly it's dream scenario man that's what that's why i again i went to sign it like it was too good to be true i was a very cynical bastard even after that first deal but in even in the second one it was too good to be true and i thought was Jesus, though. <laughs> with our i know with our band as we are tight very tight we played a lot played fucking hundreds of gigs at that stage played in carnegie hall for god's sake do you know what i mean like we were a really tight band so it's like like with that and then arguably the best agent in Europe and management team and all the rest of it, like we could have, we, we really, like arguably that's what I mean. Could have. You can, can throw everything at it, but you cannot guarantee a hit. And that's, that's kind of what comes to the whole thing. That's, that's why it brings us then neatly into like my, my last manager who I told you, you know, my third manager, my current manager, uh, who's, you know, another, yeah. Independent manager, which isn't part of a big system. Oh my God, dogs. <laughs> In your bed. Manager, it's a trigger word. It is, yeah. <laughs> I do, I'd like to throw up to you now. If what's, 
you know me as a person, but you know me as an artist. Uh, like, what, what should I... How the fuck do I find a manager, <laughs> basically? What should I look out for? So, like... At the, so my ideal manager is the manager I have at the moment, you know? And at the time, it's actually so funny how it links up, right? Because each manager has, in a fucking weird way, put me onto the next manager. So, like, at the end of that deal when I was broken, during all this time, I had no money. Like, Harry and I had no fucking money left in the business, and we were promoting an album. And in, and in Ireland, the fucking thing was to get number one. And, like, that's extremely difficult to get to. You know, like, it, it is it is difficult, but also can be achieved by selling lots of physical copies because they're worth a lot more than streams um, chart in the charts-wise. So we went about like 21 days of gigging in Ireland to sell CDs. You might have been at one of those events. I, um, I no? <laughs> no, but okay. So, <laughs> if, if you're on lore, um, was it with Trap Avenue? Is that the one? Yeah. Like, next to Cyprus. I was, yeah. sit, I was sitting in the cafe there writing Media the Crisis and looked out the window and fucking nuts and terror strolled past me. <laughs> and I was like, and I was just like, huh? And I just, I just gave you like a, oh, hello. And you gave me a wave. And I was like, you know what? Maybe he'll come in and say, oh, do you have a ticket? Do you want a ticket? <laughs> there you go. There you go. That, that, that was the day you made my list. Oh, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but funny enough, on that tour, there was no fee on offer for them because we were doing the, the gigs primarily to promote our album and sell CDs. Yeah. So if you bought a CD, you would get free entrance. So there was no fee for the band. So we were working again for free. I had tried my best to negotiate a fee from a label mm. for our work. I'm I'm I don't think I had any success in that. And anyway, I borrowed my sister's car. I put fucking thousands of miles on the car. I um stayed in my best friend's dad my best yeah. friend's fucking dad's house and I stayed there for weeks and I mean he fucking basically witnessed me being broken. I had not even the slightest idea that he'd be my manager in a year's time, but he'd witnessed the whole thing and we'd have, you know, deep enough conversations about it all and he would you know, tell me a bit about his approach with some of the acts he manages, which are all in the folk world. And it was just like, God, this sounds like an absolute fucking dream. Doesn't it? And, and like the money he was making his bands, the conditions they were working under, yeah. you know, like all of that just seems so appealing. And bear in mind, he, this man gave Hudson Taylor our very first festival, which was the Turner Festival in Denmark. Yeah. And that was literally, you know, a complete game changer for us. And and we got really paid really well and treated so well. So I already had a really good impression of him uh, as a manager. We, the uh, the managers stopped working with us and we were a rudderless ship again, but we still were in contracts, both a publishing contract and a label. And like you said, we did our last album. I didn't expect this, right? Because I, I assigned Tom to finish, finish off the album because we were still signed. And we still had yeah. promotion obligations sort of thing to do on the second album. And I didn't want to be the person again negotiating with the label in that. So I asked Tom, would he manage us? Which was different to how it had worked in the past. Usually managers had asked to work with us. So I chose Tom. And because I trusted him more than I trust absolutely anybody else. Because I've known him since I was fucking 14, you know. Mm. And so that's what I would say to you. It's like, that's an important thing to look out for. Someone that you... that's. That's the most important thing. Someone that you trust. trust. And then after that, like Tom's approach 
is very much and the, one of the reasons why I trust him is he's so artist friendly like he's literally yeah. like I work for the artist he doesn't sign a contract he's a handshake man so he's an nice. old school old school independent manager yeah. he's also not afraid of the power structures in place from the old management team because he doesn't depend on them whereas like you know as we said there are things going on in Ireland that don't revolve around them and he's not dependent on them so that was a big strength for him so that's one uh, another one is just empower the artist empower that's what keeps coming back into my head when I think of him he just wants to empower the artist to make them comfortable make them you know preferably paid well and you know to stay inspired to write to write music and like with that approach there's not much that can go wrong wow Jesus but he asked me questions man he plays hardball and like mm. That's what I like about him too. He challenges me. He doesn't just blow smoke up my arse and tell me I'm going to make it here, there and everywhere. He he literally is so, he scrutinizes, he puts me under a great deal of pressure when I'm making decisions. And you know this, yeah. you've seen me on calls with him. It, it's, some, it's sometimes heated. Yeah. Um, and it's, we're massively different in how we operate, but we are able to have discourse and conversation and he'll ask me questions. So tell me what he thinks. And, and, and I'll have to come up with the, the answers for my beliefs, which is so healthy because I can get, as I said, very emotional because music is my f- fucking life, you know, and yeah. emotions can sometimes get the better of you. And he's very aware of that, particularly with me. So he challenges me. So even with this podcast, like, like I said, I don't even know if he's listening. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think he fucking gives a shit, which <laughs> It's fine. That's, absolute, that's absolutely fine. He doesn't need to give a shit. So that's healthy, though. Like it's just like um, I, my question would be like, how do you meet a manager? So like, you know, obviously I'm in Cork. I feel like if I was in London, if I was in fucking Nashville, I don't know. Like you, you're more likely to be in rooms with people. But I feel like in those contexts, um, the like playing field is a bit more playable. But I do feel like in Ireland, like especially where I am and stuff, it's like there's realistically like one major venue that people do on their tours here and like this. So let's narrow it down. Like, what do you want from a manager? That's really the most important. That's the best place to start, because like there are managers who can make you achieve one thing and there's managers who can make you achieve another thing. If you're if it's if it's like a commercial route, then yes, picking your manager wisely, like who is within a system who has yeah. relationships with systems and all the rest of it or is it someone who just has the approach where they're going to nurture you figure out you know hopefully you find someone who straddles both you know they're well connected yeah. and they also are very well organized very important trait to have and they're also a good communicator and they're sound and they're good to work with and you trust them i feel when you describe your current manager the approach of that sounds really um exciting especially with the folk scene because yeah. that's like that when when you told me how that like scene operates and like it's like like almost just like how it lives like i was yeah. just like whoa like that's an actual thing like you know the yeah. folk the folk scene lives and um like if i was to look for a manager um i think it'd be interesting because i'd be i'd be kind of straddling both film and music and they very much cross over yeah um and I, the thing is as well i am looking for one <laughs> like like it is it is like out of all the things it is the the piece i'd be interested in actually like setting up at this point in my career yeah because i have i have my things in place and i have like a long-term um plan i would love someone to come on board to help me 
foster mm. that and to settle it into the right places. So, but I also, I, rather than saying like what I would like, it's almost just like, if there's a manager listening to this podcast, like, you know what I mean? It's like, and gets a sense of who I am. I can pick up that. Well, like, I'd be I, more... I just say from, from experience before we got involved with this podcast, like I didn't know what I was doing, right? And I've, I've taken up mentoring recently. And like, you're a young artist. You come to me, you're asking me a lot of questions. Like, mm. there was one point where I was like, God, in another life, when I have a lot more time on my hands, like I would actually love to manage a music, like someone like you, an artist like you, who's so fucking <laughs> on it, really good songwriter, you know, like, but, but like from my experience, like the responsibility of managing an yeah. artist, like it's like literally, it's a, such a specialist job. So few mm. people I believe can actually do it like to, yeah. it, right. And it'll differ so much. Like you said, like you're neurodiverse, like that's, that's something to manage. Like there's all mm -hmm. of these relationships, you're a person that you're managing. So it's like, there's just so many things to, to bear in mind. And it's such a specialized job. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how is best to advise finding a manager like it's what? more like i feel like if you're if if there was someone who got a sense of me as a person but also me as an artist and yeah based off that i felt like genuinely that that could be a healthy relationship then i'd be interested but i don't feel like pitching myself to someone and having that position where someone is above me because yeah. i just don't think that would be healthy in that in that role because then it's like the management is how is where is essentially like the captain of the ship with me um and then let's say if a label hop on if a publisher i don't know whatever could yeah. hop an agent whatever yeah it will it will quickly spread with the wrong types and yeah. i that would well suck the, the right manager will find you man and i think at the moment you're doing a great job managing yourself or getting yourself to a position where you will have lots of experience. You will have releases. You will hopefully have an income stream and you will be on an even footing with the type of manager that you are looking for. Do you get me? Like, I think also what's very key is an artist needs to know what they fucking want and a manager needs to get that out of the artist, however hard that may be and also rationalize with them and talk to them and question what they want because that's what it's all about like really for a successful artist like you look at someone like taylor swift she knows what she fucking wants do you know she's mm. planning she has people supporting her vision like you know that's just my opinion from looking at what she's doing from the outside like you've got to have that drive to manage your career you have that like don't expect a manager to come on board and just give you the answers they should enhance what you're already doing so i that think it, it takes if if someone like it's like dating it's like you said if you are you know like very happy in yourself and living your life and you're not seeking love yeah. it'll probably fucking find you at the weirdest moment because you're doing mm. things that you like to do and someone else will be in the same situation doing things they like to do and you'll it'll be a meeting of minds it's very similar with music like if you're on one trajectory there will be a manager on another trajectory and you will meet there are also like these industry gatherings we talk about, you know, where mm. everyone can go and potentially network with managers and things can happen there too. And, yeah. you know, uh, often it's just asking, uh, like as an artist, ask people who are like, mm. ask someone you trust in the industry. Do you know any managers? Do you know, and would you put, would you feel comfortable with me putting them in touch or just look up an artist you like and things that you're doing and literally just approach the manager and say, look, you're only going to get a yes or a no 
and you know get more experience from doing that and putting yourself out there in that way but like you said you don't want it to be the point where you're coming from a lesser position as them that's why it's very smart what you're doing self-managing finding out what you want to do asking the, the, the questions of yourself where you want to be and yeah if you want a manager who can open doors for you who has loads of contacts who has experience managing you know great bands you've got to get to a point where that's you know gonna be achievable and that is by having you know by, by being a strong songwriter really they're going to be looking for all the things we've been talking about in in an artist like you know someone with experience someone who's a good songwriter because that's going to make you money and someone is good live so it's like develop those things yeah. about your your own career and, and the right person will find you to enhance that but that's what they should really be doing enhancing it that's like yeah absolutely yeah I, I mean look what if there's the other form of management we haven't really spoke about which is very prevalent these days and like mm-hmm. I would say desirable by a lot of young bands it's like this sort of hip and trendy management company yes. where you know they Ooh. might be set up by like a legacy manager but they'll have loads of like young budding like music managers working for the company and there'll be a lot of artists and those artists will and we're seeing success in it yeah it's like okay this is this has been one of my special interests for a year now <laughs> i'll come to you like alfie i figured this this layer with the puzzle um yeah. it's like you see an act basically come out of fucking nowhere but they own their masters and they own their publishing but they're getting to these positions where like they suddenly have like all the connections they're doing the thing they're completely established and yeah. and, and like it's like almost perplexing now like i know the phrase kind of gets thrown around like industry plant it's not that it's the fact that they have a management company that is uk based so yeah. in ireland as we discussed i believe in the publishing episode basically they're when they come back to ireland they're treated um as a uk act so they're doing a circuit um that is above what an act who starts in ireland has to graft to so from the get-go because they have that management um company they're set off opening in venues and playing venues that are that are the venues that you would graft up to if you lived here and it's so interesting because like i feel like those companies are operating for that artist in a way that's hip and trendy but it's like as if they're the label as if they're the publisher like they they can get them into the studio with x y or producer because they've been set up by someone who's had yeah who has a lot of success with one artist in the last 10 years basically do you know like in in a lot of cases a lot of these companies have like big names so there's a huge management company in the uk i think they're called tap management there's yeah. loads of these kind of companies coming about and like often what you'll find is there's like one or two artists where the experience has come from but also where the money and the contacts have come from and so you just have to look up and go where is you know look at the history of the company and the people running the company and then the people working in them as well because like I know I have a few friends who work for these companies and they're great managers but they're not independent managers like I've described to you they work they have someone to answer to above who might have a bit of power and clout. It, it can be yeah. very beneficial and like... Like it feels like the American type of... Um, when I did that operating structure assignment, I realized that the artist essentially has like a very American way, which is like um, for an agent, a management... Sorry, an agent, a manager and whatever. It's all like traditional companies. Like, yeah. Um, 
like like an actor would sign it was i put it's a musician it was like they yeah. sign with these agencies and stuff but yeah with this like the thing is you know as someone who's here in cork witnessing the rise of these types of acts through this structure yeah um it's like you'll see this story on social media which is oh my god we're opening for this act in this venue isn't this just we can't believe it and that's the story and then you go onto the management website and the top tier act on that um company is the person is, they're supporting is, yeah and yeah. like and so then, you can believe yeah. it because you, you can, can see what's happening you can see what's happening and that shows you the importance of a manager and actually yeah it is sort of feels like a sort of american structure and that really brings us on to like this story i've been wanting to tell you about about this american manager who mm. was he, like one of the biggest managers in music at a time in america his name is lou perlman uh, i'm reading a guardian article here and i've also watched a documentary about this manager and i'd really recommend it to any to anybody listening um it's mm. a really good insight into the band nsync you know the boy band justin timberlake's fucking where he came from and then the Jesus. backstreet boys as yes. well so this is the, called The Great Untold Scandal, The Sordid Tale of Boy Band Mogul Lou Perlman. Lance, I think it's Lance Bass or Bass of NSYNC, discusses a new documentary that reveals the darker side of the man who made them and the Backstreet Boys. Lance Bass. I'm going to call him Bass, right? Because it's more musical. And it, I'm, apologies, Lance, if you're listening, but Lance Bass for now, all right? So anyway, uh, this is the article that says... It was a check that blew the lid on the duplicitous dealings of one of pop's most controversial music managers. Having already turned Backstreet Boys into a 1990s boy band juggernaut, Lou Pearlman had become the mastermind behind NSYNC, designed as rivals to his other band. So he fucking had Backstreet Boys. And then he goes, I'm going to create a rival boy band called NSYNC and play them off each other in the public eye, basically. Like, so he's doing a Louis Walsh. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Westlife and then Boyzone. It's that sort of thing. Mm. Or maybe Louis Walsh is doing the Lou Pearlman. Probably. <laughs> Sounds about right, doesn't it? So after three years of nonstop work and tens of millions of record sales, in December 1998, he invited the five singers and their families to an expensive restaurant to officiate over the ceremony where they would each receive their share of the vast fortune their career had generated so far. Until then, the members of NSYNC had lived on an allowance of $35 a day. They were giddy with the prospect that they were about to become instant millionaires. They held their collective breath and savoured the moment when their lives would change forever, stretching out their eager hands to receive a cheque for... You know? A thousand dollars. How much? A thousand. Ten thousand dollars each. Jesus Christ. The floor fell, and this is in 1998, so, you know, relatively similar to what it would be, you know, 25, 30 grand now or whatever. This is now Lance Bass talking. He says, that is when I knew we were being taken advantage of. Yeah. He said, there was something wrong. We immediately started calling lawyers. Bass and his bandmates managed to jump clear of the wreckage using a buried clause in their contracts that stipulated that Perlman had to sign the group to a US label. Oh my God, that was similar to what I was saying to you about my publishing deal. So yeah, the manager had that they had to sign to a US label. They were signed to a label within a German major called BMG to declare it was yeah. null and void. So they obviously found a, a way in the contract to, to end this relationship with this manager, uh, which is, oh, you know, I've gone about doing that as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's very difficult and scary thing to do. So fair play to them for doing it. So the judge in this case was flabbergasted at Perlman's claim that according to his contract and ownership of the band name, he was NSYNC. So he created this band. So he's saying he's therefore entitled to 90% of their earnings. Wow. He, the judge ruled for the band and the implosion of Perlman's empire began because he was huge. Like he had, you know, Backstreet Boys yeah. first. So he was a massive and, and uh, do watch but, the documentary, The Boy Band Con. It's it's made really, really well. And this like it's, it's amazing because like, you know, obviously knew these were hugely successful bands, but they're saying there are tens of millions of sales. This man must have think been. Think about it though. I like, know. But um, we're talking about um, Boyzone on the Late Late Show, but like that was... Um, I know with them, I know at least with McFly, um, just like go down this rabbit hole, um, like a boy band being put together through auditions because there's a manager who's putting it together. Yeah. Let's just say not yeah. names. Yeah. And then you look at the X Factor; it's the same, but now it's all maybe it's because of this that yeah. on the X Factor, One Direction is put together through auditions. Oh, you should do a boy band, and therefore, um, it's put together without this ownership that could implode like this dude. Yeah, that's exactly it. Bass, along with the director, uh, Aaron Kunkel, created the YouTube documentary The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. Perlman joined a long line of Svengali's who had infected the popular music industry since the 1950s. He was also the last of that breed. Well, I would disagree. Uh, minting and riding the late 90s <laughs> boy band wave that coincided with the record industry's commercial peak just before digital de- detonated the lucrative C- CD business. I feel like we can make one of those documentaries about Hudson Taylor and I'd honestly watch that and, and bear all that in mind because it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. You know, it goes back to like, this was obviously a really powerful figure similar to like my second manager like we were talking about. Anyway, this is, this, this is also very interesting. Perman used his ostent Tatious lifestyle to seduce people and to distract from his lies. His childhood obsession with blimps led him into <laughs> plane hire into the plane hire business, which he allegedly bankrolled by insuring a substandard blimp for three million dollars, knowing it would crash. Renting a plane and then ascendant. <laughs> Uh, sorry, renting a plane to then ascendant new kids on the block in the mid-80s showed him how much money was sloshing around in the pop world and whetted his substantial appetite for a share. Having relocated from New York to Orlando, Perman began styling himself as Big Papa, a man in search of a family as much as he was in search of money. He wanted to be a father figure to the groups he recruited through open auditions, which he personally funded. He also wanted to hang out with younger people to indulge in his big kid tendencies. This documentary features Bass talking about how Perman gave him a massage. He was very touchy-feely. It always felt a little like, okay, what are you doing? So clearly this man is... Creep. A creep. Very disturbed. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Very disturbed. It also... And he's dead, by the way, so... We're grand. We're grand. We're grand. It also draws on the archive footage from Howard Stern's radio show where Richard Cronin of LFO, who died in 2010, claimed that Perman asked the group to fondle his penis as practice for meetings with German music executives, though it's not suggested any of them ever did. Nikki DeLoach of Innocence, Perman's only girl band, which briefly counted a pre fame Britney Spears as a member, claims that he 
covertly filmed them naked on the sunbed at his house to show members of his boy bands as part of a bizarre bonding ritual. That felt pretty darn violating, is what she said. Fuck Conspicuous me. by his absence is Justin Timberlake, the o- the only Perlman artist to, to transcend his boy band roots with a successful solo career. Bass said he was not approached to participate as we already had three NSYNC members in the film. Fuck no. It's a fucking story. And I tell you, I'm not going to read anymore because you can watch the, watch the documentary. It says it all there. And it's just uh. really fascinating. But it kind of goes on to the... The main point that like not much has really changed in law since then. That sort of behaviour is that sort of carry on can still happen, and there's not a huge amount in place for 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 that to be stopped until like recently. And we can end this kind of episode on a bit of hope for once, you know. And and <laughs> yeah. you know, usually I'm so cynical, like, and I always wrap it up on the cynical note. Yeah, so that's that's nice fucking, that's, that's got you all over it, doesn't it? But this Jesus, this like... kind of this is actually a really positive thing that's been born out of you know how bad our creative industries are and also I've I've come to to discover it via an amazing artist called Rebecca Ferguson who was on one of the X Factors mm. 2012 13 I don't know she was huge she she I think she may have won the X Factor or gotten very far anyway but has been through that system she speaks amazingly openly and honestly about that experience but also about the experience of songwriters and artists in the music industry and I'd really yeah I mean check out her on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter she has taught me a lot about how to speak up about this sort of stuff but she yeah. speaks a lot about standards in music and compares it to like say sports and football where like if you want to manage like some teenage talent in sports like you, you're you vetted do you know there's yeah. a procedure in place which is like you're okay to work with children clearly mm. in the 90s there wasn't any of that and I haven't heard of much of it now until this thing which Rebecca shared only a couple of weeks ago which is CISA um, CISA.org.co.uk and they are the Creative Industries Independent Standards Authority is what they say uh, what's, what they're called and, and I'm just going to read you a little bit of their website here um, to kind of show you a bit about how people are thinking of combating this in the future so the background is look in 2021 in light of number of serious allegations being made in the public domain relating to the creative industries times up uk chair heather rabbits joined forces with legal advisors from field fishers and scoped the concept for an independent standards authority for the creative industries and began to consult with leaders across film music tv and theater the creative industries independent standards association cisa is to uphold and improve standards of behaviour across the creative industries and to prevent and tackle all forms of bullying and harassment, including bullying and harassment of a discriminatory nature. So mm. this is the beginning of hopefully some sort of regulation. Um, how would how would have you felt if you had that through your career in the band setting? Um It kind of depends on what they're offering here, but like just to know that there's, say for example, with a really powerful manager, like just to know that there is yeah. some sort of body who has my back and, you know, maybe like people I can talk to for free about, you know, get advice about how and where I stand legally, number one. Uh, yeah. Where I stand emotionally, number two. When I was um, in my teens, I had a job in a fast food restaurant. Yeah. And um, it was a new restaurant. Like I remember it was just like the management was just like, a terror <laughs> it was just like a horrible situation and i was i was only like 17 yeah but i remember the hr 
person was there basically every day and um like i remember this is before i was diagnosed with autism and uh i'd just be genuinely asking like a question because like i'd got in trouble for fucking right wiping the table wrong and i so i'd ask her like is there i'm asking like is there a procedure for, for how i'm up genuinely because i don't want to fucking get anyone sued if i fucked this up and she like took me aside and started like tearing into me for like being a smart ass and all this and like and like that was just like an example of like the kind of shit and it went on always loads of comments and i remember thinking like who do you go to if the hr is your bully <laughs> and like you to contrast it with like with you like who do you go to if if you have issues with your management and your management is the top of the tier my, and my there are artists yeah. like there's so many stories but there are artists just stuck in who are in situations and they and there's obviously like many creative minds and there's um there's the there, like we're going to touch on mental health in the new year but like i always bring back to the film thing but even on film sets like you know there's now like an, int- an intimacy coordinator and there's like things that are like incredibly important and as soon as they're introduced to become a norm you'd, you'd find yourself questioning like how weren't these always here yeah well um and, like we're all self-employed people hiring self-employed people and there's very few rights for self-employed people uh, compared yeah. to like if you're actually going to hire someone you know and like do that you've got to offer them holidays and all this sorts of stuff and if i'm yeah. a signed band on a label i'm not afforded the same rights as someone who works in the label like you know i was sort of shocked to find out that there was people working in the label that i was working that i was essentially working for you know yeah yeah getting 70 grand a year having HR, you know, getting holiday pay, getting all this sort of stuff. And that same sort of stuff wasn't afforded to artists. Like, that, that's just like an observation. It's an annoying, it is an annoying observation, but it also, like the artist's work is what's bankrolling those wages. Do you know? Well, I feel hopeful, Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they're, 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 they're this is what they're saying. Our purpose and our vision. The purpose of the creative of the C, of CISA is to uphold and improve standards. Following a significant period of discussion with creative industries, we are now in the next stages of development. CISA's vision is to create consistently safe and inclusive workspaces for creative industry professionals through proactive interventions and advice, providing a single place of accountability where behaviour of concern can be reported and investigated, and mm. building capability to prevent and tackle bullying and harassment and bullying harassment of a discriminatory nature. Discriminatory nature. Blah, that's a mouthful. They've got massive actors. Kira Knightley's involved. Uh, Na- Naomi Harris, Ruth Wilson. Like, uh, you're on Stephen Graham. Like, they have huge, huge people involved. Stephen Graham, wow. Um, they have a commitment to anti-racism. Here's five reasons why the creative industries need this. This is what they say. S- number one, CISA responds to the clearly identified need for better workplace safety and prevention from harm within the creative industries. Yeah. That's a fucking need. We've been talking about that. There's the dog saying it as well. <laughs> Number two, they'll give professional advice. CISA addresses the void for freelancers and employers who don't currently have access to routes of resolution or advice. I could have done with that. We've been speaking yeah. about that. Number three, what are they else, what else are they going to give? Future-proofing the talent pipeline. CISA will attract new and retain our experienced colleagues and support inward investment by making the UK not just the most dynamic place to to make creative content, but also the safest. Again, good 
good values maybe maybe not so nice much and thought. yeah nice and thought <laughs> maybe maybe not hard to implement in the music industry but good good nice and thought like you said yeah. number four is a circuit breaker delivering return on investment well we all love a bit of that um and mm. fairness and due process CISA structures and procedures will will be governed by evidence-based decisions fairness to all parties and transparent processes so a level of accountability in music mm. which we don't currently have to go back to that thing where you talk about like the the you know, we're self-employed people working for self-employed people. Yeah. Like, there's no HR department in that. And like... No, exactly. You know, there's... You know, you were talking about how you were affected. I, you know, in particular with the... In the, the root of the second album, you used your voice. But I also felt like because of that, as I said earlier, like a lot of shit was flung to you and you put the blame on you. But um, I found that very frustrating because knowing you as a person and... um as I said earlier, like your moral compass and you, you just don't t- take shit. Like, um, I found it, it really fucked me off that you were the scapegoat. Um, well, that, that's what, that's what happens when you try and uphold standards, unfortunately, where we're in an industry where there are no standards, you know, and that's, that's why it should not fall to people like me. It shouldn't fall to an artist to fucking have mm. to uphold sta- standards in a, in a business, which is making millions of pounds, I guess. Yeah. Again, again, it goes back to an attitude and I believe that artists are managers. Some people yeah. don't. Some people think artists are fucking stupid and, you know, some of them are, to be fair. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it's it's so different managing any artist. It's such a difficult job, as I said before. Yeah. And it's like very highly specialized and high pressure job. I would have been so, I was so blind. And as, with so many topics that we'll go into, but just as a whole, and you know this because you look back to 2022 um, compared to now, the the stuff I didn't know and the stuff I know, or even 2020, yeah. like, you know, I, I'd i have this in mind in vetting the people I'd be working with. Yeah. My, yeah. My, like my friend said, like, I, I have a, the skill that he admires in me is the, um, it's just kind of like, having the right circle and like bringing good people together and I yeah. thought was like one of the nicest things he said <laughs> it was like very much like appreciated but it is something I'm very much aware of because I, I hear the stories and um well you know how it, important they are you know you know you know again you've heard about how important this role can be and how uh you know, how much you how, how much an artist relies on on a manager and and how yeah, yeah and, and that's it's not just a manager. It's all aspects of the team. You have to be able to trust everybody you work with. So that's an extremely yeah. good trait to have. And, you know, keep working on that. And, and on that note, you will find the right manager for you because you're already looking for, hmm. you're already, you have boxes to tick, you know? Um, yeah. And if they don't tick them, I just wouldn't take them, you know? Like make sure you keep those standards high for yourself because you're going to ask that person of a lot. And they need to be upholding your standards so you don't have yeah. to do it. And that's why it's important. With in an industry where there is no regulation or standards, management for the artist are the person who can protect artists from that, if you get me. Do you know what I mean? They can implement standards. Yeah. They can hire musicians who are professional. They can uh, make sure the artist is paid. They can get uh, the artist from A to B in a way that suits their brain. Everybody has They can an- help you break America. Exactly. But every artist have different needs and abilities. 
and it's up to a manager to recognise that in their artist yeah. and to work in the best way possible. You know, like to round it all up, for me, as I said, it's an extremely difficult job, high yeah. pressure, very specialised, and it is not suited to like the massive majority of people. It's a huge responsibility. There's no yeah. guarantees. You can have the best manager in the world. They still can't fucking make you break America. That's, you know, mm. that's just absolute fact. I know that as a fact. Uh, the number one goal is to look after and back the artist, ask them questions, plan, but also realize their dreams, not your own fucking dreams because you wish yeah. you'd have been a musician yourself or because of this, that and the other, do you know? And then very important, like you said, like Gabrielle said, try and be on an even even footing. Don't pressure an artist to sign anything with you. I like the old school approach of a handshake, at least for the first six months to a year. And, yeah. you know, if you implement all of these things at the very beginning and have an honest, honest working relationship with your management and they also represent you, very important, like the first thing you said, meeting Gavin James's manager. He, put yeah. a, he made a good impression on you as someone who's, you know, bottom of the food chain of that event he was respectful but he also um first first sorry fuck it for on on the subject he he was he was he was there he kept an eye on everything he was overseeing where the instruments went that everything was on it like genuinely like knew what he was doing but was also really lovely to the to me who's just the fucking crew member on minimum wage (laughs) like and i still have the spectrum and i and like i was already a fan of gavin from seeing him and just I've never heard anything bad but that's cemented in my brain that like that is someone now I would actually like go out of my way to see just because I know that 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 decency is there and I'd want to put my money into that absolutely and like you know it's a very like we've said it's a very nuanced job and it's it there's there's a lot to it but it does come down to something that simple being a good person and you know, representing the artist and the artist's work that you are representing. And I have one last question for you. Yeah. Why did the pianist keep banging his head against the keys? No idea. He was playing by ear. Oh, for fuck's sake. Good man yourself. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody, we will see you next week for the Christmas special and... Yeah. Crazy Frog. We're going to talk about Crazy Frog. We're going to talk, I think we reserved a little section for Jake Gyllenhaal, John Mayer as well. You're going to yeah, leave, yeah. You, leave you maybe on your own for your stand-up set about that. Yeah, um, yeah. We are going to have a laugh, kind of quiz each other. Uh, I think it'll be kind of fun. Have a drink. We'll have a little drink, maybe a bit of Christmas music, a few Christmas stories. Oh, I will read you out one email. A very, very funny email from uh, an A&R person at a label about a Christmas song. Oh my God, it's so funny. It's so, so funny. I'll see if I can read it out. It might <laughs> might not fly, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I might have yeah. to change a few names, but it, God, it is yeah. so fucking funny. So stay tuned for that next week. After that, I think it's fair to say we deserve a little bit of a break. We should take a couple, yeah. Of, yeah, a couple of weeks off. We should, we'll talk about all that next week. Um, We're taking a break. Just like two weeks or something, man, you know? Everybody does it. Like-